Welcome to the One Crossing Podcast. Here you can find past sermons along with other exclusive content. Our prayer is that God will move in your life even when you are on the go. We hope you enjoy this message. Crossing family, I don't know if anybody's told you this yet today, and if they haven't, shame on them and allow me to be the first. I love you. I am so glad that we get an opportunity to hang out and be in ministry with one another. And I look forward to our opportunities to gather each and every single week. I love the stories of how you guys are taking steps in your relationship with Jesus Christ and how you're allowing him to have more authority and reign in your life. We just came out of October, which is Pastor Appreciation Month, and I should have done it then, so please forgive me. But I want to do a big round of applause for all of our campus pastor and staff at all of our different locations. Super thankful for them. Love that they have accepted the call to do ministry here and to pour their lives and hearts out alongside of you to make a difference. I also wanna do a shout out to all the difference makers who serve in all kinds of different capacities every single weekend all across this region. We could not do what we do without you. And you uh, taking your gifts and your time and your resources to help people find an intimate personal relationship with Jesus Christ is what we're all about. We, in fact, we just finished a sermon series called An Intimate Personal Relationship with Jesus. And that is uh, a line that you should hear every single week at every single one of our locations. And if you don't, you email me and I'm gonna get on the phone and have a conversation with somebody because that is our mission and we are unapologetically compelled and consumed by it. I wanna take a quick second and welcome all of our different locations, those of you watching online, those of you who are part of our Inside Family, and thank you so much for participating in this weekend. I have a message today that I believe uh, will be very hopeful for you, that will instill you with some hope, maybe give you some encouragement. And I know that sometimes uh, we're coming to church out of a rough week, or you're uh, at church knowing that you got a tough week coming, and more often than not, you're at church and you don't know what's around the corner, but I wanna make sure that when you leave here today, hopefully if I do my part right, you're gonna leave hopeful and encouraged. Uh, my, my prayer is that at some point in time during this message, uh, you'll tune me out, and uh, you'll tune God in, and you'll have a conversation that will fill your, your spiritual lungs with fresh air. We're starting a brand new sermon series called Behind the Curtain. And before we get too far into uh, this series, which we're gonna be doing from now until uh, all the way through Christmas, I have a confession. And this is a tough one. Um, you know, the previous services this weekend took it pretty rough. And so, I mean, I hope it doesn't devastate all of you. Uh, The tough part about this confession is it's gonna cost me cool points. And when God made me, uh, he made me a lot of things. But he didn't make me super cool. And so to give away these cool points, it's, uh, it's not to be taken lightly. You guys ready for it? Here it is. I like Broadway musicals. Okay, okay. Obviously we have some people from the band section here at our church and we wanna welcome you. You know, I'm glad you didn't bring your flute and your xylophone today, but God bless you. It's the truth, I I like Broadway musicals. Um, My mom grew up studying classical music and that's what she studied in college. And so when I was, you know, what was going through the Bose speakers in my house growing up, 
was uh, Sarah Brightman and Michael Crawford. And when the PBS special came on with Michael Crawford, uh, we, we sat down and we watched it. I have watched way too many videos of Celtic Woman than I care to let you guys in on. Uh, it's right now, if you're wanting to know how much of like dorkdom I reign in, I, um, you know, a couple weeks ago, I let you guys know about, you know, Elton John and the Lion King soundtrack. Um, I, the sermon, uh, every sermon I write has like its own little music that I uh, write my sermon to. This one is John Travener's Eternity's Sunrise. And I played it for the CrossFit community uh, on uh, Tuesday after the workout and they all left before the song was over. It's that bad, okay? Um, but if you can find, if you have the mental capacity to just sit quietly and listen to a song, Eternity Sunrise, it gets me, it gets me, it gets me jacked, all right? That's all there is to it, okay? Um, when I was a sophomore in high school, I was allowed to go on a trip to New York City. And while we were there, one of the things that we got to do on the trip was we got to go see a Broadway musical and I got to go see Beauty and the Beast. After that, they shipped all of the high schoolers off to go buy trinkets, you know, where you buy your fake Rolex and your Statue of Liberty lighter and all that stuff. Um, but what I ended up doing is not doing that. I uh, scored some tickets to another Broadway musical called The Scarlet Pimpernel. Now, um, you know, in the early 80s, late 70s, The Scarlet Pimpernel was a movie and it starred a young Jane Seymour long before she became Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman. Yeah, I'm telling you guys, I'm not cool at all. And I uh, went in, I had seats all the way in the back and I sat down to watch uh, the Broadway musical, The Scarlet Pimpernel. And I was totally undone. I was consumed by what was happening. The music, the songs, there's a song in there uh, called Into the Fire that about every six months I pull out the lyrics and I listen to it. And when I get done, I feel like I could lift a house. Uh, I was listening to it this week. You can check that one out, okay? You'll be like, man, this guy, I, we gotta find another church. But listen, this, it's who I am, okay? I, okay, it's, just, it's me. And uh, I would watch as uh, they were singing and they would be walking and all of a sudden, before you know it, the stage would shift and he would be standing on top of a staircase. And then he would turn and walk the other direction and the staircase that he was walking on would disappear. And now he is sailing a ship on the open waters. And I remember just being completely taken in. And all I wanted to do was get backstage to see what was happening behind the curtain. How are they making this all take place? I wanted to know what was coming before it arrived. Maybe you're like me and you've noticed that our culture has an infatuation with getting behind the curtain. I grew up on Behind the Music and MTV Cribs where we got a chance to see our favorite celebrities and uh, athletes and see what it was like for them when they were no longer on the stage and they were off the court. And you got to realize that people organize their fridges way too much when you're going through MTV Cribs. Like, you really, that rapper just stacks his milk like that? I doubt it. Uh, but it's more than that. Some of you are like, oh, we weren't MTV people. But uh, maybe you're a person who reads biographies and autobiographies of um, titans of business or successful politicians. Or maybe you've been uh, sucked into a podcast that gives you an in-depth look into products, athletes, and cultural events. We are addicted to getting behind the curtain. We wanna know what does backstage look like? So in this series, we're gonna go behind the curtain and see what's happening backstage. 
To those of you who are new to a church and you're new to the Bible, when we talk about the Bible, the Bible's broken into two big chunks, the Old Testament and the New Testament. And right in the middle of the Old Testament and the New Testament, I want you to imagine a gigantic, thick curtain. And what we're gonna do is we're gonna spend a little bit of time in the Old Testament backstage. And then I want you to pay really close attention to see how God takes things from backstage and takes them through the curtain and puts them into the New Testament and into your life and my life. And how promises that he makes find their way fulfilled in our day, in our presence. So let's start. The first week, we're gonna spend a little bit of time in the book of Daniel. It's in the Old Testament. Daniel is written by a guy by the name of, take a guess, yeah, a couple of you got it right, a couple of you got it wrong, which is interesting. Okay, I thought I gave you a pretty good clue there. It's written by a guy named Daniel. Okay, you're already becoming a Bible scholar. And Daniel uh, is, an, is a Jew, and he has been taken captive by the Babylonians. So Israel has been uh, taken over, the Babylonians have come in and they have taken Daniel and a lot of his friends and other people back to serve them, uh, to serve their captors in Babylon. And among the people that were taken with Daniel are three guys and they had their names changed uh, by the Babylonians to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so here are these Jewish men who have been taken from their homes. They've lost their identity. They're living in a new area under a king who is oppressive. And one day, the king brings all of his political leaders out and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he shows them that he has set up a golden statue, 90 feet tall and nine feet wide. He's also brought out the choir and the band, and he's also built a furnace. And this is what the king says. When I cue the music and the band starts to play, I want everybody, all of you, to bow down to this idol. And if you don't, I'm gonna throw you into this blazing furnace. So he cues the music and everybody bows, except for three people, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, some of you might be going, where's Daniel? Daniel's not in this story. He has his moment with some lions later on, so he's not there. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they don't bow. Now, some of you write real quick. You're like, Clayton, (laughs) before we get into this, uh, this feels a little far-fetched. I mean, this isn't something that happens nowadays, does it? Well, let me show you some pictures from 2021. Um... This happens every day. This is North Korea. And when you enter into this courtyard and you see these statues, you are to bow. If you were to go to a Muslim travel site, which, you know, in case you guys are interested in a good travel, Muslim travel tour, um, Muslims will tell you uh, that you're not supposed to go to North Korea because even a slight tipping of your head, uh, which if you don't do it is punishable in North Korea, Uh, if you were to just make a small bow, it would be an affront to Muhammad and Allah. And so Muslims don't travel here because they don't wanna have to bow to statues. Uh, Here's another one, this is from Turkmenistan. Uh, This one's actually really funny because uh, the king or president of Turkmenistan was in a horse race 
and uh, there's video of it, and you could tell it's one of those horse races where the, he's the one who's supposed to win, because if you watch, some of the horses have like their mouths open and they're being held back, because this is a huge party for the president to win the horse race. Well, <laughs> as luck would have it, uh, right before he crosses the finish line, the horse stumbles and the king falls off of his horse. And so the Secret Service come out and uh, of you know their little area, and they try to make sure he's okay, and then they shut the whole stadium down, and they try to confiscate all of the video of this guy falling off a horse, uh, but the video gets out. Obviously, there's a junior hire there, and he figured out how to get, okay? So listen, so the video goes viral of the president or king falling off of his horse. His response to that was he built this, a gigantic statue of him riding a horse covered in gold. Yeah, it still happens. Uh, it even happens in more subtle ways than you think. Now, just remember, I'm the guy who said I loved you at the very beginning. Uh, but maybe lately you felt a little pressure to bow. Maybe not like this, but maybe like this. Man, if you don't vote for, I don't know if we can. Oh, uh, maybe this one. Have you felt like you've had to vow, uh, bow on one side or the other? And relationships could be lost if you're on one side or the other. Uh, how about this one? Or this one? Or this one? Like, hold on a second, Clayton. I think we can all agree we like polar bears, right? No, this isn't polar bear. This is my climate change picture. I didn't know how to do a climate change picture, so we went with the, makes me think I could go for a Coke right now, okay? <laughs> Let me say unequivocally for the record, this church is pro-polar bear, okay? And I decree on this, okay, yeah, wait, yeah uh, you've got to take, you know, if you're not a recycler, like, I don't know if we can be friends, like, you've got those people in your life. Um, I grew up burning all our trash, I don't know what we're doing for the environment. But that's because we're hillbillies. <laughs> All right. Uh, speaking of hillbillies, uh, then there's this one. Um, like, where do we stand on that? Uh, or how about this one? I mean, that's not even to talk about tax the rich, free speech, cancel culture. I'm just saying, I feel, and maybe I'm alone in this, I feel like over the last 18 months, people have kind of asked me to take a bow, pledge my allegiance to some man-made things. Uh, now listen, I'm not saying what you want me to say. I know there's some of you in here like, I think Clayton just said Trump's the Messiah. That's not, not what I'm saying, crazies. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, have you felt a little tension to bow, to cave, to have an opinion, and you're not quite sure where you stand yet? And you're tempted to bow. And if you do bow, you find out you didn't bow low enough or long enough. Have you found out that there's really not even room for nuance or conversation around things? Uh, that there's no room for you to support something and be critical and go, man, I'm for this. I just, there's a couple things I have. Nope, you've got to take the whole thing lock, stock and barrel. And if you don't, we're going to block you, unfriend you, deplatform you and cancel you. 
And I know that we say that that happens out there, but I think internally we find ourselves preparing to isolate and separate ourselves from people who believe differently than we do and think differently than we do. And the church is no uh, different. And you can no longer agree with anybody unless you agree with them about everything. And that to be in a relationship with someone is to be in wholesale endorsement of all of their beliefs. And I'm going, me and my wife don't agree on everything and I'm not ready to, you know, walk out on her just because she thinks differently than I do. I think sometimes it's us thinking differently that make us better. Add to that, your inability to gain enough information on a particular uh, subject to arrive at a conclusion. Add to that, our mistrust of the news, social media, and the internet, that we don't even know where to go to get the information that we need to get to arrive at the conclusion we're supposed to arrive at. And just about the time you think you figured it out, they go, we don't care about your opinion on that anymore. What about this? Like I just finished studying for the wrong test. (laughs) So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are sitting there and they know their history. They know that the reason they're in Babylon is because when God said, I will be the Lord your God and you will have no other gods before me and you will not bow down and worship any other idol and I will cover you and protect you and bless you. And they chose to bow and rebel. God removed his hedge of protection from them. And then they found themselves taken over by the Babylonians. And now they find themselves not even trying to figure out how to worship in Jerusalem anymore. Now they're trying to figure out how to worship in Babylon and they're going, yeah, I'm not bowing to this one because bowing to man-made things is what got me here in the first place. Now I'm gonna pause. This sermon is not about what you think it's about. So no conclusions yet. I'm just getting us all in the same boat. I'm not telling you where I'm taking you. We're just in the boat. Some of you, you're really starting to go, man, I've been waiting for someone to say, I'm not, I'm not agreeing with you, okay? If you're like, I think this Clayton's really on it. We're not on the same team yet, okay? I'm just getting us in the boat. No applications yet. Promise? Okay. What we are seeing happen in our culture right now is people are searching for a God. They are searching for salvation. They are trying to make a heaven. And we see people screaming for it and looking for it in political parties and in relationships. They're looking for it in the government and in policies. They're looking for it in Hollywood and in the news. We are looking for it by caving into cultural pressure. We are trying to make heaven by man-made hands. But heaven wasn't created by man-made hands. Hell was. The pain that we see that we're trying to solve can't be solved with man-made hands. They have to be solved with divine hands. And worshiping man-made idols won't offer the hope and the assurance and the salvation that we desperately need. We're looking for a truth, we're looking for a cause, we're looking for a platform, but all of these are man-made. Our truth, is that God is real, Jesus is alive, and the Bible is true. And that's not just our truth, that's 
the truth. And it is from that truth that we worship and bow and focus our attention. And it is from that truth that all other causes and affiliations are filtered. Still not saying what you think I'm saying. Wait till the end of the sermon. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refuse to bow. And the king comes to them and offers them an ultimatum. He says, guys, I'm gonna play the music one more time. And if you don't bow, I'm gonna throw you into the furnace. And this was their response. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. I wish I could preach a whole sermon on that. These guys had lost their homes, lost their country, lost their people, and they were still saying, we believe God is able. Sometimes do you wonder if the problems that we are wrestling with is because we've lost sight of the fact that God's hands can change and heal and deliver? But that's not the sermon. Still not saying what you want me to say. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, even if he doesn't deliver us, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. And I know some of you right now, you feel a little bit left out of the sermon so far. You're kind of been going, man, this sermon will be great for my Facebook friends. They really need to hear this. But I want, uh, for just a second, can, you, can, we, can, we, can I get in your grill for just a little bit? See if you resonate with me. These men take a stand for God. They claim that he is able, but they surrender to obey him even if he doesn't deliver them. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have even if faith. And sometimes, most of the time, and maybe you can back me up on this, I have only if faith. Only if faith. God, I'll serve you only if my life gets better. God, I will give more only if I get more back. God, I'll be pure as long as my spouse becomes more available to me or as long as you bring me a spouse. God, I'll live, give my life to you only if you heal my mom. God, I'll follow you only if you'll help me get the job. God, I'll be for you only if. And we reduce our relationship to God to something transactional on our terms. Our commitment to him is only as good as him accomplishing our will, but God has never been about accomplishing our will. He's been about accomplishing his will. And when he does it, it's for his glory and it results in our good. He's for the good in you, but it's through his will, not your will. The king is so upset that he has the furnace heated seven times hotter and he takes Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and he throws them into the fire. The men who are actually throwing these men into the fire, the fire is so hot that the soldiers that are throwing them in are actually killed when they open up the doors. And then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego get thrown into the fire. How many people are in the fire? Okay, guys, you had an extra hour before you came to church. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego get thrown into the fire. I'm assuming all of our other locations, you guys answered really, really good. 
of 48th Street <clears throat> drank pickle juice this morning, okay? So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego get thrown in the fire. How many people are in the fire? <laughs> Some of you know the story. Okay, <laughs> look what happens. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. King Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. And the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors, this is all fancy words for uh, senate and, uh, you know, representatives and all that stuff around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair on their head singed. Their robes were not scorched and there was no smell of fire on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any God except their own God. Therefore, I decree, this guy's crazy, that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned to piles of rubble for no other God can save in this way. This guy's a fruitcake, right? He's like, these guys refuse to bow. They're the best. Refuse to bow to what? Oh, the God that I just set up. And if you say anything bad about their God, I'm gonna turn your house to rubble and I'm gonna cut you to pieces. This guy's a whack job. But there were three guys that got thrown into the fire, but there were four who walked in the fire. They're in the midst of their great trial, their even if moment, they had divine company. These men who refused to bow, who refused to reduce their faith to only if, and lived out a but if not commitment, brought a king and their country to knees in worship. You can almost hear David writing Psalm 23, and even though I walk through the valley of a shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Fast forward 400 years and put your hands on the curtain and slowly pull it aside. And what you'll see standing on center stage is John chapter one, verse 14. And the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The word is a man that somehow enters into the fire of life to dwell in it with us. That Jesus enters in the fire of the human experience to go through what it is you're going through. He experiences the highs and the lows, the trials and the pain and the temptation. To what extent? Look what it says in Hebrews chapter four. For we do not have a high priest, this is Jesus, who is unable to empathize unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. You ready for what you're supposed to take away from this? Jesus shows up in the fire of life to experience and go through what we experience and what we go through. 
sometimes we'll hear about a tragedy that takes place in someone's life. And there's this tendency to, when they start to talk about their feelings, there's this tendency for us to want to say, I know. But the truth of the matter is we don't. It's like a girl who's struggling with infertility her whole life, talking about the pain of that to a woman who every time her husband walks by her gets pregnant. And then that pregnant woman goes, well, yeah, I know. And what she wants to scream inside is, no, you don't. You don't know. And we take that same frustration into our relationship with Jesus. And we wanna create distance between us and him. And we wanna go, well, Jesus, you don't know what it's. But Jesus entered the fire. In fact, he went through all the things that you go through, except when he did it, he did it without sinning. And so you're tempted to say, I'm struggling. And he was like, yeah, I know. Jesus, I've been abandoned. Writing yourself a permission slip. And Jesus goes, oh, I, I know what it's like to be abandoned. Me too. Jesus comes up to you and says, you come up to Jesus, you go, by Jesus, I'm this way because I've, I've been rejected. And Jesus goes, I know. I know what it's like to be rejected. Me too. You, you come up to Jesus, you go, but Jesus, I feel alone and I feel isolated and I feel deserted and I feel oppressed. And Jesus goes, I know. Me too. You're like, but, but Jesus, my friends turned on me. And Jesus is like, I know. Me too. But Jesus, my friends want me to be something I can't be. They want me to be something I'm not. And Jesus goes, I know. Me too. We say, Jesus, I'm tired and I'm poor and I'm broken. And Jesus goes, I know. Me too. But Jesus doesn't just say, I know. Jesus doesn't just say, me too. He says, something else and I can't get over it. He says, even if. He says, even if to me. He says, even if to you. He comes into my only if world and he offers me even if love. Uh, when, I, when I go... When I look at him and he's looking at me, every problem you are experiencing and, and encountering in this world is because we have an only if mindset. Man, I'll be good to you only if. I'll help you out only if. I'll give you money only if. But Jesus shows up and he looks at me and he goes, Clayton, even if, even if you never believe in me, I'll still love you. Even if you reject me and abandon me, I'll still keep on loving you. Even if you keep on sinning, keep on struggling, I'll, even if you do those things, I'll die for you. 
Uh, even if you keep picking up petty causes, sell out your character, struggle with addiction, become a cheater and a gossip, you navigate sexual purity poorly, I will still carry this cross for you. He shows up in my world and he says, even if, and my only if brain can't handle it. What would happen in your world if we possessed just a little bit of even if, even if we don't agree on everything politically, you can still sit at my table. You're still worthy of my love and respect and care. I can still treat you with dignity. Even if you act like an idiot, a moron, a punk, even if I'll still root for you and pray for you and look for ways to bless you. But right now, what would your marriage look like if there was a little bit of even if in it? Now I know, hold on, I know. I know what you guys just did. It's smart, but it's wrong. This is what you just did. Oh, I'm so glad my spouse is hearing this. And I'm gonna love them only if they give me a little even if love. Yeah. You're waiting for your spouse to take the sermon home, but that's the problem. We are spending our whole lives angry at all the people taking the lower road while refusing to take the high one. We're waiting for our spouse to start giving us even if love while only holding out only if to them. But when God enters the scene in your life, in my life, he leads with even if. Even if you beat me and spit on me, even if you put a crown of thorns on me, even if you pick up the hammer to nail me, I will cry, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing, even if. And when that hits your heart, your heart doesn't want only if anymore. You realize it wants something bigger and fuller and more pure. It, it aches to be done with only if living and start to grasp even if faith. My mom called me on Wednesday. I finished my sermon on Monday. That's when I write my sermons. My mom calls me on Wednesday. My mom is the director of a... a alternative learning center for kids who haven't been able to get it dialed in at whatever they call non-alternative learning high schools. And the stories that my mom navigates are just crushing. Kids showing up for school early because they, they wanna get out of the cold. They're just tired of being cold at their home. They're, they're coming into the school because the school has toilet paper and they wanna be able to go to the bathroom with some amount of dignity. They're trying to figure out how to, how to work it out in school while knowing that they're about to get evicted at home. These aren't unsmart kids. These are smart, capable kids who are absolutely going through the fire. And my mom, she has a student who had just been there for a couple of weeks and he had started to turn things completely around and she was walking down the hallway the same way she walks around when she's with me. She puts her arm inside of my arm and she's walking this student down the hall to his class and she's just smiling and laughing with him on Wednesday morning and on Wednesday night, he's gunned down. My mom is on the phone with me and the only thing I can tell her 
is Jesus knows what it's like to lose somebody you love. He feels that. He got the news that John the Baptist had been beheaded. He's experienced human suffering. He's experienced pain. And the only other thing I can tell her is the only way out of this is for people to offer up a little bit of even if. Even if I don't understand you, even if I don't agree with you, even if you might not do the things I want you to do with the things that I give to you, even if I'm still gonna do it. And I gotta think, I, gotta, I, I just gotta believe that deep down inside there is this part of you that wants to be a part of something like that. That in light of what Jesus has done for you, you wanna live a transformed life. You wanna live a life that has even if love in it. And I need you to know in order to do that, you're gonna need godly power and you don't get godly power bowing to man-made idols. You get it when you bow to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and you submit your life to him and the Bible says you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And when you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, you receive divine power and divine love. And that's what this world needs. It doesn't need you bowing to man-made platforms. It needs a group of people bowing to the one to whom one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. We're moving to a time of decision. Thank you for joining us. A special thank you to those of you that choose to give to this ministry. It's because of your generosity that this ministry is possible. You can click the link in the description to give now or visit thecrossing.net forward slash podcast for more information. If you enjoy the podcast, be sure to subscribe and share with your friends, tagging One Crossing on social media. Thank you so much for listening.